So where are we now? We've gone through six steps of the selling process and we really haven't even presented our product yet. Why? Because right now we have 70% of the closing procedure done. 70% of the sales already complete right now. What have we done? One, we're prepared. We know who we're dealing with before we walk in the door. We know what kinds of things they really need, what some of their psychic wounds may be. We know everything about our product, everything about uh, our competition, and we have a plan that can really make sense. Two, we haven't just gotten prepared, but we've really turned ourselves on so we can deliver that material in a very powerful and effective way. Three, we haven't just sat there and got all excited and pumped up, but we've actually gone out and made contact as well. Four, we didn't just make contact and get their attention, but if we've done our job right, we've made a friend. We have somebody now that really feels connected with us at 100%, where they trust us, and where that first question in their mind, whose best interest does this salesperson have in mind, has already been answered. And they know you're a professional, and you know that you really care about them, and are not going to try and jam something down their throat that really doesn't benefit them. Fifthly, we've got their interest. We've used some big fat claims and we've backed it up with a couple of benefits and some evidence to get them interested and excited to hear what it is we have to say. And so we engage them. Then we went to phase two and that's where we are now. We're in the process now of enrolling them. And step six, the last one we covered, if you recall now, is we're in the process of finding out who this person really is. We've qualified them. We found out what their psychic wounds are. What are some of their values? What's really most important to this person in life? We've been looking for their urban and their urban and drab. Urban, emotional reasons for buying right now. What are the states or emotions they want most that we can show them that by buying our product they can get certain feelings they want, like all advertisers do. And also, if they don't buy our product, what emotions that they're going to probably end up with and they don't want to have, so they want to buy now. We also are talking about urban, logical reasons to buy now. We've been looking for all of this and studying this person. So we know who the person is, we're connected with them, we have their interest, and now our job is to make a presentation. So we now go to step seven. And step seven we call CC and TC. It means create conviction and test close. And this is critical. When you go to create a presentation, the only purpose of a presentation should be to create conviction that we can meet somebody's needs. The reason we haven't made a presentation up until this point is until you know who you're dealing with, until they trust you, until you're able to really get their interest so that they'll really listen to you, there's no need to do a presentation. In fact, if you don't have their full interest and know who they are, you're going to make a presentation in the dark. You're going to go back to that game we talked about when we talked about values, where I said to you, what if we played a game and I sent you out to buy somebody a gift, and I said, if you get the gift they love, you get everything you've ever wanted. Remember the, the example? And if you fail to get a gift that they like, we blow your brains out kind of a pressure game, and the reason it's pressure is you didn't know who this person was, you now know who they are, so now it's time to present. So the whole purpose of step seven is to create conviction. And the conviction we want to create is we want to get this person to the point where they absolutely feel they're justified in buying. That's really what this is about. Giving them enough reasons to justify being able to buy. That's what you want to do. And then we want to test close. And that means find out where are they. Are they getting hotter or colder? Is our presentation working or not working? We don't want to hope it's working. Come back to the last step of the sales process, try and close the sale and have them say, well, I don't have the money, or well, I don't have the time, or I'm not sure it's valuable. We want to know that up front. So CC and TC, create conviction and test close. Now, how do we create conviction? Well, we're going to do it three ways. Number one way to create conviction is, most people use this, to try and give people benefits. In fact, most salespeople, I think, to be more accurate, try and share with the customer lots of facts. The fact is, our product is the number one product of its kind in the United States. The fact is, we have the finest service in the world. The fact is, but see, people don't buy facts. People buy benefits. 
So the three ways that we are going to assist you in being a little bit better in creating more conviction in people is number one, we're going to work on our own personal congruency. Congruency means that when you say something, your voice, your body, and your mind all are basically saying the same thing. That what you're saying on the outside is matching what you're saying and feeling on the inside. If uh, you say, I got the best product in the world, it really is better than the competition, and your face gives this kind of signal, that's called incongruent. Incongruent is when people say things like, you know, I want to be a multimillionaire and I want to sleep till noon. That's called incongruent, right? Incongruent is when somebody says, I totally love you, and the next thing you know, they're dating somebody else. That's called incongruent. The bottom line is, what we want to do is make sure everything matches. So that when you communicate and you say, this is how it is, your voice, your body, your mind, everything is giving one singular message. So how do you get to that place of congruency? Well, we've already talked about this, so I'm only reminding you. Every single time you go to meet with a customer, before you get there, you must condition yourself to have the deepest level of conviction about your own product. You must absolutely feel in your gut that you are being a giver and not a taker. And I've said this several times, and you hear me say it several more times in these final three or four steps. But you must believe when you walk in there that what you have to offer is 10 times more valuable than what you're asking back. And when I say you must believe that, I do not mean logically. You must remember that people buy for emotional reasons and they justify with logic. You and I do it as well. But emotions are what drive us, and selling is the transference of emotion. And for somebody to buy, they've got to have conviction. They've got to feel certain that what they're doing is going to give them what they want. And you cannot give to someone that which you do not have. You cannot influence someone else unless you've been influenced. And again, I mean at an emotional level. And this is a challenge that most salespeople have, and they lose their power. When they're brand new, they go out there with all this enthusiasm. They believe 100%. They got all this conviction, and they go out and make all these sales. But then they have some problems in their personal life, or then they have some challenges because the product doesn't get delivered on time, or then they notice that the product isn't perfect, and they start losing their conviction, or they just talk about it so much, they get bored. They run into this thing we call the law of familiarity. You remember what it is? The law of familiarity says that if you do anything enough, if you're around anything enough, you begin to take it just a little bit for granted. And it happens in almost every area of our life. And the same thing happens with your conviction about your product. So every single day before I get up to talk about something I believe in, what I work hard at is really getting myself to the place of absolutely feeling the value before I speak about it. Otherwise, you're not going to feel it. It'll just be words that go in your head and go out again. So creating conviction starts with having that conviction with you before you go see the customer. How do you do that? A couple ways. First way I'd say it would be the process of, well, I'll tell you what I did. When I went to work for a man years ago, a personal development speaker by the main, name of Jim Rohn, he talked about goals and attitude and time management, some real basic principles, and I really believed 100% what this man's message was. I thought it was incredibly valuable. So I went to work for him. Not to make money, I mean, I wanted to make money, but that wasn't my primary thing. I wanted to like, change the world by getting people to be exposed to this man. Because of that, I created so much conviction in myself that every single human being that I sat down with who'd been exposed to his program, we used to put people in an evening seminar, and then we'd sit down with them one-on-one -on -one for an hour in a coffee shop, convince them to meet with us, and give a presentation on why they should buy about $1,200 worth of programs. And the challenge was at the time that, number one, I hadn't been to some of these programs. And number two, I really wanted people to get this value. So what I would do literally on the way to meeting this person, let's say I'm going to meet them and it's 30 minutes away, I was driving my old VW Baja Bug Volkswagen, 
and uh, I was going to tell this person how they could become more successful in their life and have all of their dreams come true. I just started with this man, and yet I was still able to convince every human that I met, every single one bar none, broke every record they ever dreamed of. In fact, I ran out of leads and I told other salespeople, I said, give me your leads, I'll give you all the money, I just want to get these people to go to this event. And I had so much convincing, and they were thrilled, they said, yeah, you've sold everyone, sit down, take all my leads, you know. So I sat down and I would convince people, but on the way over there, I would just drive myself into a frenzy of conviction. I would think about all the benefits that people could get from their lives, anything I knew about this person. And I would do affirmations, quite honestly, with such intensity that by the time I got to see this person, I was in a deep trance of conviction. I would say, I now command my subconscious mind to direct me in helping this person to better their life by giving me the strength, the emotion, the persuasion, the humor, the brevity, whatever it takes to show this person and get this person to invest in this product. And I would say that over and over again for 30 minutes, screaming it at the top of my lungs while I'm driving my little VW Bug through the freeway to get there. By the time I walked in the door, it was like the guy had no chance. <laughs> I mean, I was absolutely certain. And if he told me no, there was no possibility he could tell me no because I had more conviction than he did. I want you to remember this. When two people meet, and they discuss anything, the person who is most congruent, the person who has the largest amount of conviction about what they're saying, will end up influencing the other person in the long term. I remember one time I was on a radio show and somebody called up and questioned my credentials when I was involved with the NLP community. And, you know, I knew what they were and I told them what they were and the next person called up and said, those aren't your credentials and I talked to this person today and they said, those are not your credentials and he's the person who gives them out and they went on and on and on and on. And I was certain that they were, you know, crazy. And I thought they might have a little secondary game because I was in their part, their community selling my seminars and they weren't too happy about that. But you know what happened? This person was so certain about this that at one point I said, great, let's call that person right now on the air live and let's find out if I'm credentialed or not. I thought, that'll handle that. And the person said, let's, because I talked to him today. Let's call them right now. And my brain went, wait a second. And I knew reality, but for a moment I started believing them going, well, gosh, you know, are those people upset with me and they've taken away my credentials and I don't know it? I began to like, I began to have doubt because they were more convinced. They had so much intensity, so much conviction that I began to actually doubt my own knowledge, my own beliefs. So I want you to know that your level of conviction is the single most powerful thing that you can transfer to that person. You have to make them feel certain, absolutely certain, that if they invest in your product, they're going to get what they want most and it'll be worth it. And if you can transfer that, and give them enough reasons to justify buying, they will, as long as you give them conviction to buy for their reasons and not yours. Remember, people don't buy for your reasons, they buy for theirs. And the reason we've taken so much time up until now to really get to know this person, connect with them, have rapport with them, find out their values, their psychic wounds, what are their logic, what are their uh, buying patterns rather, the reason we've taken a lot of time is we now know who this person is, so what do we do now? All we do is give it to them, but we must give them the experience that they're going to get what they want out of our product and service, and we've got to give them that with congruency and conviction. So in affirmations is one way to do it. I'm not big on affirmations, even though I've told you I use them, because I think most people use them in a way that's ineffective. That is, they go, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, and their brain goes, BS. <laughs> you know? Or I'm going to solve them, I'm going to solve them, I'm going to solve them, and their brain goes, no way. If you're going to do an affirmation, what's most important is not so much the affirmation as the congruency in which you communicate it, the amount of emotion that you generate. So that's number one way to create conviction and push somebody over the edge, is to really get that conviction within yourself. And I'm here to tell you that you could throw everything else away, but that one belief, and you would find a way to be able to close the sale. And people will feel it if you're sincere and if you relate it to their needs.
Here's the second way that you can create conviction in a very powerful way that's a lot of fun. You remember that I said to you that selling is really the process of getting people to make decisions. And the way that people make decisions, of course, is most decisions are a weighing process. What's happened, we said before, is we have this person and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they got this fulcrum. And on this fulcrum, they have this boulder over here we call drab, if you recall. Drab means dominant reasons for avoiding buying. Another word for that might be fears. Because their fears are the things that pull people down. Their fear about, you know, will it really work? Will they really get what they want out of it? Will it be worth the time and effort and energy and the things they've given up to have it, the inconvenience? What will other people say? These are all dominant reasons that people use to avoid buying. It's always fear, and it's always fear of what? Pain. Remember we told you that everything people do, they do either to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. So how do we balance this thing out? How do we make sure that their dominant reasons to avoid buying don't become the dominant force that grounds them and causes them not to buy? How do we ground them in the process of actually buying and catapult out these reasons for not buying? And the answer is, what we need to do is get plenty of boulders with conviction. In other words, feelings on this side of the scale that there are plenty of reasons to buy now. We call them urbans and also lurbans. Funny word, but again, urban means emotional reasons to buy now. Now, if a person's highest value in life, let's say, is freedom, what would you say their largest urban would be that you'd want to try and relate your product to? That if they got your product, they'd have more what? Freedom, clearly. If their number one value in life is security, then that's going to be the biggest set of urbans you're going to give. You're going to show them how right now they'll get more security, more freedom, more whatever by making this purchase. And if they don't, they're going to lose some or miss out on some. Remember, we want to use the carrot and the stick. We don't want to just create fear in people. And we want to be elegant. But we want to load up our boulders, and we want to give them logical reasons to buy now. And we want to get enough of that that what it does is this drops down, and then we win. This pops up, and we literally catapult their objections or fears literally out of the decision-making process. Because there's just more weight to the benefits. We want to make sure that they feel the real benefits on this side, and that these are much larger than the potential pain. That the pleasure is much, much larger than the potential pain that they might have, and that that pain's not going to happen anyway. You must get them to feel convinced or certain conviction that this is true. That buying will mean a lot more pleasure and very little or no pain. And that not buying could mean a lot of pain and little or no pleasure. Does that make sense so far? So that's the process. So how do we do that? Well, we do it with something we call units of conviction. Now, remember we created what we called units of interest? When we are talking about grabbing people's attention or grabbing their interest, rather? Well, this is very similar. We're just going to add a couple distinctions to it, and it's a way to really make the process work. So we have a nice little cartoon here for you. So in the process of creating conviction and test closing, here are the steps. Step one is people have got fears. They've got what we call a little drab here. Dominant reasons to avoid buying, some of the fears, some of the things they've heard, and so forth. And if that's heavy enough, you can see there's a little scale here that measures whether they're going to buy or not. If that's heavy enough, this is going to go down, and they're going to get cool, cold, or freezing where there's no way in heck that they're going to buy. On the other hand, though, if we can get enough conviction, enough emotion, enough reasons to buy now on this side, then what's going to happen is the lever's going to come up and they're going to go from warm to hot to boiling to where they're absolutely ready to buy. In fact, they'll take it from you if you don't give it to them. And we've all been fortunate enough to have people like that. And it's because they were convinced. They had enough conviction that they were going to get so much more benefit than pain that they went for it. Now, remember, they buy for emotional reasons and logical, and we've got to give them both. What is the dominant buying mode for most people? Emotions. And I will tell you this, though. Most people do not want to feel like they're buying for emotional or sentimental reasons, because that's not being intelligent for a lot of people. Instead, they want to believe they're doing it for logical reasons. So that's why you have to give them enough units of conviction to help them justify the purchase as well. And we're going to show you how to do that. 
And what you see here is our master salesperson is dumping more units of conviction. So what does a unit of conviction look like? Well, a unit of conviction is simply very similar to what we did when we created somebody's interest. We had that little bag, if you recall. And in that bag, we had what we called a big fat claim. What you do is you make a statement, a big flat claim. And in this claim, immediately, you sell, say to people that you're going to be able to give them something that they really want. And let's say, for example, you're selling a computer system. You make a big fat claim. Our computer system can save your accounting department about 30% efficiency immediately. Now, that's a pretty big fat claim. What's it designed to do? It's designed to open the buyer's mind to a new possibility, designed to grab their attention and open their mind, get some of their interest. So that's the first step. Now, this whole process I'm going to show you is called a unit of conviction. What is it? It's a big fat claim, in other words, a fact or a feature. So you state a fact or a feature. So you say that the microprocessor that we have will increase your efficiency 30%. So you make a big fat claim, you make a statement. And then what you've got to do is you've got to back it up. So what you do is you use the word because. You say because, and then you state a fact. So you make a claim, you say because, and state a fact. Now, the way you would do this, for example, let me back up a second so I'm a little more clear. I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll give you a poster that'll make it even simpler. I think I have one here ready for you. Here are the processes. To have a unit of conviction, first you make a claim. So we might say something like, our computer system can increase your efficiency in your accounting department by over 30% immediately. That's a pretty big claim to make. Then you use the word because. Do you remember why we use the word because? put somebody in a deep trance. <laughs> People go on automatic pilot when we use the word because. We talked about that when we talked about unconscious tools of influence. You might want to review that tape. Now, because, and we state a fact. So our, our computer system can increase your accounting department's efficiency over 30% immediately because we've done that for many companies and because of our particular microchip that we use. Then you say, which really means to you, which means to you, and you state a benefit. And a benefit, you might say, is the benefit to you is it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of energy there. You'll be able to get the information you need much more rapidly. And then you say, and that really means to you, and you state another benefit. And what that really means to you is a lot more money that you can save and an accounting department of people that are happy and are actually producing the results you want instead of getting caught up in the busy work. So what we've done so far is we've made a claim. It can be a big one or a little one, but we've stated a claim that grabs their attention. We've said because, and we've backed it up with a fact. And then we've sold two benefits out of it. In other words, have you ever gone to a customer and talked to them about a feature of your product or a fact about your product that you thought was great, and they turned it right back around and looked at it as a limitation instead of a benefit? Has that ever happened to you? Like you say, God, our program, we have microchip XYZ, and you know that's the fastest chip there is. And the person comes back and says, yeah, and it's also brand new and I don't know how to use it, and they give you all these things. You try to give them a feature that would be a reason to buy, you know, in the weighing scale. It's like another reason to buy, and they turned it around on you. How many have had that experience? So what you want to do is you don't want to just state facts or features. A unit of conviction is this. I'll keep it real simple for you and keep it tight. Here's what I mean. You state a claim. You take something that is a feature of your product, and you state it a claim. You say, hey, this is what we can do for you, and you back it up. But then you back it up with two benefits. So you take a feature. Let's say your product is more expensive than anybody else's product. That's a feature. <laughs> now, some of you will try and avoid this feature. I would not. You know it's going to come up. So what I would do is I would use that as a way for them to convince them, to make them convinced that this is the best product. So I might say something like, our product is the most expensive product out there, and it is also the best. 
because we have spent, spared no expense in producing the finest materials, and I described the because, which means to you that you're going to get what you really pay for instead of having something break down all the time, which really means to you that you're going to make a lot more money on your investment, and you're going to get it back in a very short period of time. So do you hear, hear what we've done now? We've taken a feature of our product, or a fact about it, the fact that it's more expensive. We've made it into a claim of a benefit. We've stated a claim, we backed up with a fact, and we've created two benefits to it. That's what we call a unit of conviction. Now, the thing that we add to it is we give them some evidence. In other words, we come back and we say, okay, our computer system will do this because of this, which means to you this, and it also means this. And the evidence of it is we've done it with this company, that company, and this company. Now, what you've done is you've got their interest, and now you add the permission question, which we've already covered before. And that is, so... Right now, though, my purpose is just to get some answers, your answers, to a few questions. Would you be willing to do that for me? And the person says, sure, I'll be happy to answer a few questions. And then what you're going to begin to do is create conviction and say, well, in your opinion, do you feel like being able to save that much money and have your people be that much happier would be something to be worth looking into or making a commitment on? And what you're beginning to do now is actually create a commitment. So to be even more specific, let's look at what we're doing then. A unit of conviction has seven parts. Part one, a claim. Part two, a fact to back up the claim. Part three, a benefit. Part four, a secondary benefit that really affects them personally and hopefully emotionally. Part five, we give them some evidence that'll back up what we've said. Part six, we get permission. Permission to ask some questions. And part seven, we start asking questions that by answering them, what the customer is saying to us is, yes, this is something I really need. Yes, this is a reason why I should buy. So the purpose of units of conviction is to create for someone a feature of our product into enough benefit that they tell us or confirm for us that that is a reason to buy now. Does that make sense? So seven steps, okay, seven steps are part of that. Now you're seeing some additional things here, and these are additional places to go once we've got someone in place where they're saying there's real value. But I want you to be clear on the seven steps. Let me go in one more time, because I know we've covered a lot here in a short period of time, and I've bounced all over the place. So let's get real clear. What's the purpose? You and I have lots of features about our products, lots of facts. If we sell features and facts, we will be ineffective as salespeople. What we must sell are benefits. But we must link the benefits so that a person feels like they're real, so they have conviction that these benefits really are true. The way we make them true, now step number one, make a claim. Take some feature of your product and make a claim. And you can even take features that you used to think were bad, like how much it costs. So take a, a statement, some feature, make a big claim about it. Back it up with a fact, linking it with the word because, that's number two. Three, immediately back that up with a benefit, so they know that feature equals. They buy benefits, they don't buy facts or features. And that way they don't have to make up in their head what it means. And what that really means to you, step four, another benefit. Back it up with, and the evidence of that is this and that. And then finally, you get permission. Say, listen, the purpose right now is I'd just like to get your answers to a few questions. Would that be okay? And then lastly, in your opinion, and then what you do is you come back and say, in your opinion, is this benefit important? Do you feel like that would be something that would be worthwhile for your company? So once they say yes, what have they made? They've made a commitment. And what you've got right now when somebody says yes is you've just dumped another bag on reasons for buying now. How many of these could you generate? And how powerful could it be if you were carrying around with you, like Santa Claus, a huge sackful of units of conviction that you could drop down on anybody's decision-making lever?
That's what I want you to have. I'll give you an example. I used to market for the same man, Jim Rohn, his seminars. And one of the ways I used to sell effectively and persuade people was that we had a brochure and we were selling a, a tape program. It had six cassettes in it and it had a couple of workbooks. That was it. It was $295. Now, how do you walk in and sell six cassette tapes for $295 with a couple workbooks? And when it's the same material the person just heard, well, number one, you've got to believe the value is there. So you have to have enough conviction within yourself to pull it off, which I did. I listened to the tapes and I felt, yeah, there's only six cassette tapes, and if you measured those by cost, that doesn't mean anything. But value is what matters, not what cost is. And so I got real clear in my head of what those tapes could do for somebody because what they were doing for me. So with that conviction, I would then sit down and I would do all the things we've talked about. I would prepare. I would prepare in my mind to meet with a customer by thinking about how I could benefit them, thinking about how their life would change, how I could make a difference. I'd try and find something out about the customer on the phone in advance or from somebody else. I would prepare because I knew what other people in the industry wanted and what they were charging. I knew everything, so I was well prepared. Two, I would turn on. And I would turn on on the way to the event, as I've already told you. I would do these affirmations until I was in a frenzy. Three, I would obviously make contact. I would go out there and be with that person eye to eye. And my goal in making contacts was always to see a minimum of four people a day. That my goal was to help four people every day see them eye to eye. My next thing was, once I made contact, instantly I wanted them to feel I cared, which was absolutely true. So I looked for what I really, really liked about this person. Fifthly, I'd grab their interest. And the way I would grab their interest is immediately after talking to them, I would talk to them about the kinds of results that were there, and I talked to them about what they already were exposed to. What did you think of the seminar? What did you like best? And they would tell me what their interest already was. And my belief was, they won't meet with me unless they're interested on some level. Lastly, I would find out as much as I could about them. I'd ask them questions about their goals and their dreams and their life, and I'd pull out everything that I could. Finally, I get to this step, step seven. And what I would do here is, I have this little brochure. And what did it have? It had a picture of this product, and it showed there were six cassettes and the names of them, and it showed a couple workbooks. Now that doesn't seem like, does that seem like you, if you just saw that, that you would feel conviction that that was worth $300? I don't think so. So how did I do that? The way I did is I realized a piece of paper with a couple of little writing on it did not create emotional benefit strongly enough. And if all I said is, this is a great program, isn't it? And did that, you know, I'm not going to be able to convince them. So what I did is I took each and every item on that particular brochure, each tape, and I created two or three units of conviction. In other words, reasons to buy now that they confirmed for each tape. Let me be specific and show you what I did. I would go through like the first tape, and the first tape on there was something about uh, basically managing your attitude, I believe it was, and the diseases of attitude it was, the kinds of emotions and habits that some of us have that destroy us from succeeding. So rather than just talk about it and saying, yeah, this is a really great tape and you'll find this to be very valuable, I would not tell, I would set things up. I would say something like, the most important thing you will ever do in your life is learn to manage your emotions. And if you don't do that in your lifetime, every dream you have will eventually become something that won't come into reality. You'll eventually miss out on your dreams. And the reason I say that is because so many people think their life's going to work out, but it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't is these diseases of attitude stop them. And then what I'd say is, so the reason I say this is, by using this tape, what it could mean to you, and I give them a benefit, it could mean for the first time in your life maybe, really being able to create consistent attitudes that support you, which really means to you, and I'd say, and what that really means to you is, money in your pocket as a salesperson, because if you don't manage your state, you and I both know you're going to lose out, aren't you? I said, and I'd say, have there been times when you've done that? And I've gotten evidence from them. 
Are there been times when you didn't manage your state and it cost you money and they go, well, yeah. How much money does it cost you? And they'd tell me. The best evidence is when the customer gives it to you because you ask them a question. And I'd say, well, my purpose right now, so I'm not trying to sell them. I'd say, my purpose right now is just to get your answers to a few questions. Is that okay? Well, sure. Well, let me ask you a question. In your opinion, do you feel that if you were able to consistently be able to manage these attitudes that have stopped you, that you would in fact be able to create the kind of results that you've always dreamed about? Well, sure. Then I'd say, well, in your opinion, and I would do, each of these are called test closes. The reason it's called a test close, and I'm not saying, so do you want to buy now? I'm not saying, do you want to buy this or that? I'm testing, I'm using a barometer to see where is the customer? How much enthusiasm, how much conviction does this person have for buying right now? That's the whole purpose of a test close. In your notes, you should put, the difference between a test close and a close is a closing question is a question that basically when the person answering it means they bought. A test question or a test close, which is your best friend in the world, a test close is an opinion asking question. And you can make anything a test close by adding the words, in your opinion, do you feel? If I say to you, what should you do? That's a close. Yeah, you're committing for sure. If I say, well, in your opinion, if you're going to make a decision, what do you feel will be the best decision? Do you think this would make a difference in your life or not? What do you think generally? Now it's an opinion, and you're more comfortable, and you're more likely to be able to give me some commitments. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Test closing is the single most important skill you probably have to know where you are at any time, and to know when to close. Because as you'll hear me say several times in the closing section, how to close is easy. When to close is the real question. And if you know when to close, you're in great shape, and the test close helps you to do that. But let's come back here for a moment, and that is this. I would ask them, so in your opinion, do you feel? And I would ask them, do you feel it would do this and this? And they'd say yes. And what I usually do is you think of these as the claim is number one, the fact is number two, the benefit is number three, and, and the fourth benefit is number four. This is the most powerful benefit. This is money in your pocket. This is something that's directly related to them. So I'd say, in your opinion, do you feel, and I'd feed this one back, do you feel that making more money and having the opportunities you want would really occur if you were able to consistently manage your state through a tape like this? Well, yeah. And I'd say, well, how much do you think that would be worth in your life? They go, well, I don't know. And I'd say, well, and I'd use contrast. I'd say, well, do you think it'd be worth $1,000 in your lifetime or in the next couple of years? $5,000, $10,000, $20,000? They said, well, I don't know. Would it be worth at least $1,000? Well, sure. I'd say, really? Are you just saying that or is it really worth $1,000? They say, oh, yeah, I mean, of course it'd be worth more than $1,000. So I'd have one tape now and I have a unit of conviction that I'd pour over here that says this tape's worth how much? $1,000 by itself. And I'd really get them convinced by them convincing me. Then I'd say, well, if you use, and I'd run them through another one. I'd say, okay, well, here's this tape. You know, by using this tape, and I'd state a claim. I say that because I give them a fact. And then I'd say, which means to you, the reason I say that is this means to you blank benefit. Which really means, if you do that, it'll really mean to you blank benefit, another benefit. And the reason I say that is I give them some evidence. Or ask for evidence. Get them to feed it to me. Right now, let me just ask you a question. In your opinion, do you feel? And then I come back and say, would you get this benefit? In your opinion, do you feel you get this benefit? Do you feel that this is really a fact? As you get up here, somebody may start to give you an objection. But I keep asking these things, and I finally get up to the point where I've test closed enough that I know it's time to close the sale. And I'll explain how to do that. But right now, just understand these first seven steps and where they're taking you. This is how to go from a claim to a close. And the way we do that is keep creating more and more units of conviction. Now. How many facts and features are there about your product or service that you could turn into features? Hey, listen, if you can take six cassette tapes, by the way, when I was done, I would add up what all these tapes were worth, and it was worth $12,000.
And when I said that, I'd say, realistic, is that really true? I would get them to convince me. Yeah, in my life, I guess that's really true. I said, are you sure? Well, yeah, I guess it is. I said, great. Well, it's 12000 Guess what? <laughs> it doesn't cost 12000 The tapes are only $300, Right? And guess what? Guess what? When they started to weigh things out and they weighing the benefits over here versus the money they're giving up, now you say, come on, Tony, people are not that silly. They're going to see that this doesn't make sense. Those tapes aren't worth it. Yes, they are, because I did it systematically, and I got them to show me that the benefits were there. We built it up. You need to do the same thing with each feature of your product. The problem is most salespeople do a presentation, and they dump the whole load. I don't want you to do that. I'd like you to take a look at taking one feature at a time and drop another sack on the lever. And you know what? If you drop enough of them, and here's the lever, and over here is a reason for not buying, and over here are all these reasons why they should, pretty soon it's like you'll catapult the reason not to buy it right off. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself in this particular place where, sure enough, you're putting more and more on this side. It's lifting them up, and now they're ready to buy. That's really what we're going for. So I have an assignment for you. And the assignment is this. I want you to take and come up with a sack full of units of conviction, things that you're already prepared to go with any person you can immediately give them as a way to convince themselves to have the conviction that this is something they really should buy, that they're justified in buying this, that they'll get much more than what they're having to give up to get it. And so the way to do that is we're going to have you do an exercise with your facilitator right now. And what we want you to do is sit down, and I want you to come up with a dozen units of conviction, 12 of them. We're going to sit down and come up with a claim you can make about a feature or a fact about your product, back it up with a fact, which means to you benefit, which means to you benefit, some evidence you can back it up with, know what to ask, and be able to ask a closing question. Those seven steps, so that by the time you're done, they have committed that these benefits are real for them. And you know you've got another sack on there. And if you just keep adding those, pretty soon you're going to have a person where they're absolutely convinced. So this is one way of doing it. The other way, of course, what we've talked about is having that congruency within yourself so that these words come through. Because you've got to remember that what you say is not going to convince people anyway. How you say it. But the problem is most salespeople are thinking about what to say still and not how to say it. The reason I want you to do this exercise is if you have, say, a dozen little formulas of facts about your product with two features to back it up and a closing question behind it so that they're committed that there's real value there. If you've got a dozen of them, how would you feel walking into meetings now with customers? How would you feel when they started to kind of waver and not be convinced? All you do is reach in your bag and say, oh, okay, let me just give them another reason to buy. Another reason to buy now that links to benefits that they really, really want and need and get them to tell me that it's absolutely true. Does this make sense to you? Great, then let's go for it right now. Let's take a few minutes. Your facilitator will set it up. And when you come back, we're going to talk about this idea of test closing because I know it isn't 100% clear yet. It's not meant to be. When you come back, though, we're going to use test closes in a way that will take away your fear of the word no. So go to your job and hurry back. I'll see you in a few minutes. So to make certain you get all the value you can out of units of conviction, it's critically important you take the time to really memorize these. That is, the ones you've designed now, you've got to commit to memory and have them be automatic. Well, you cannot just deliver them because you know what to say, but you've actually practiced how to say it with conviction and with power. Uh, the whole idea of this is for you to be able to have any person who starts to give you reasons not to buy, and where you can immediately create a new balance. That is, take some of these ideas out and drop them down on your side of why they should buy now and really be able to deliver it in a way where they believe you. Now, to take the units of conviction one more time and create maybe a more clear picture in your head, take a look over here. What I've done is I've looked at a unit conviction and consider it like a bag, like we've done over here. And it has seven elements within the bag. The primary element is the claim that you're making. You're making a big fat or a little fat claim. 
The difference between a big fat claim and a little fat claim is a big claim is like something that changed their whole life. A little claim might be about how one particular feature or fact about your product would benefit them. So you make your claim, then you say because, and you give them a fact. Then you go to step three, which is which means to you, and you tell them a benefit. Go to step four, and the real benefit to you is, and you hammer home an even stronger emotional benefit. This one may be more logical. This might be a Lurban, a logical reason to buy now. This is more likely going to be urban, emotional reasons for them to buy right now that really get them at the gut level. And of course, benefits that they really want, not benefits that you just traditionally sell. Make sure that everything you're relating to them is based on what you've learned in the step where you've really qualified them. Next step, step five, support your claims with a simple amount of evidence. You don't have to back it up forever. Just give them the idea of what the evidence is. Most people try and prove something that somebody doesn't even doubt in the first place. Step six, get permission. And again, you'll want to memorize this phrase, so instead of rambling through it, my purpose at this time is to get your answers to a few questions. It's real important to deliver it that exact way, so you'll need to rehearse that. Is that okay? You get permission to probe. And then you come and you do step seven, and this is the difference between what you've learned in the past. You do a test close, an opinion-asking question that by answering it, though, they're making a commitment to you, and they're saying, yes, I have conviction that the feature you've mentioned really is going to benefit me. In other words, I feel like, yes, you put another one on this side, and I've got more reasons to buy now. Because it's the whole purpose of this step. Creating conviction is the whole idea is to get someone convinced, where they have conviction that this is something they can justify buying. This is something they should do. You need to give them conviction that they have a problem. You need to help reinforce the fact that right now there's something they really want that they're not getting, or there's something they really need and they're not getting it. Or there's something that's possible and it's not there. So you need to reinforce that conviction and that it's logical, logically your product can solve that problem. So let's move now to test closes and see how this really connects. Again, the test close is probably one of the most important elements you have as a professional persuader. Because what most salespeople do is they ramble through a presentation, they have not put themselves in a peak state, they do not know who they're dealing with, they don't have rapport, and they finally come down to the end and they start closing. And the problem is they don't have rapport, so the person doesn't listen to them. They don't know their real needs. They've made a generic presentation, and they wait to the very end to find out there's not a whole lot of interest. What we want to do is we want to be more professional. Test closing provides a whole series of things for you. And again, the key to test closing is understand a test close is an opinion-asking question. A regular close is a decision-making question. Now, an example of that would be, you know, you're coming along and you're talking about something and say, does that make sense? I've test closed you throughout this program, haven't I? I'm doing it now, too. And what I'm constantly doing is stopping and asking for your feedback, saying, what do you think? Does that make sense to you? How does that look to you? What's your feeling about that? Those are all test closes. What they do is they allow you to take a thermometer out and see, where is this buyer right now? Are they freezing? Are they cold? Are they cool? Are they boiling hot? Are they ready to buy? Do you know that most salespeople sell and do presentations they don't even need to? Many times, just by a good test close up front, you might find out. You might say, so are you ready to make an investment in one of these today? And the person says, yes, I am. Say, great, which one do you want? They say, that one. You go, great, let's sign you up. But no, not most salespeople that go, no, 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 I haven't given the presentation yet. <laughs> you don't want to get caught in that trap. The ABCs of closing that every great closer in the world knows are these. Always be closing. But I'll tell you a better one. Always be test closing. So you don't ever want to be in a position where you're stuck and what you're doing is trying to get a sale and finding out somebody's not ready to buy. If there's any one thing that I could convince you of or push you to think about, it's this. That you never want to close until the prospect is really ready to buy. You never want to close until they're ready to buy because the bottom line is, 
If you try and close them and not ready to buy, now you've got to deal with major objections. I use test closes to find out where the prospect is, and I'm excited about that. See, that way I'm not going to come in and try and get them to make a decision when I know they're not ready to buy. All I'm going to create then is some conflict. So it's a thermometer. It's a chance to see where you are. It's a chance to get commitments from the prospect that the prospect doesn't feel so uptight about. If I say to you, do you want this in brown or blue, that starts to get somebody like they're having to make a decision. You can take a normal close, like do you want it in brown or blue? Do you want to do it on Thursday or Friday? Do you want the executive model or the economy model? Those are all closes. In other words, those are all questions that if I ask them, you've made a decision, you've made a real strong commitment. I could turn them into test closes just by changing the language slightly, by adding the keywords. In your opinion, do you feel like keywords? In your opinion, do you feel like? So I could say, in your opinion, do you feel like you'd probably want to go with the brown or the blue? Doesn't that feel like it'd be easier for you to answer than do you want it brown or blue? Sure enough, it feels like it's a little bit less of a commitment. But what you and I know by studying unconscious tools of persuasion is that if a person makes a small commitment, small commitments become big commitments. You remember the story about billboards in people's front lawns? <laughs> so you need to realize that all you have to do is get them to make a series of commitments to you through test closes. And if they're saying, yeah, I kind of think that would be good. Yeah, I think that would be good. At the end, if they said, yes, 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 it's going to be hard for them to turn around and say no. So that's what a test close can really do for you. And so you need to come up with a series of them. And you need to learn to use them so that you know where you are. And you know that you can be test closing all the time. You should be test closing after each step. Test close after you got their interest. Maybe interest is all it takes to get this person to buy. Test close after you know what some of their values are. Say, if we could meet these needs, would that be something you'd really want? Well, yes, of course. You might want to really go to a close right away. So you want to know where people are at any time. Now, what are some types of test closes? Well, there are several. Let's start with three general ones, general categories. First of all, there's the opening test close. An opening test close is where you start out right up front and you immediately find out where the buyer is. In other words, the biggest challenge that most salespeople have is they go in, they do this long presentation, and that person never had an intent to buy, no desire to buy, and they may have made commitments to their husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend where their emotions were on the line if they did buy. In other words, they promised they would not. It would be good to know where someone is when you start so you have at least a barometer of what their level of desire is. So some examples of opening test closes would be words like, how long have you been considering owning a product like this? How long have you been considering owning a Mercedes? Or another one would be, are you seriously considering owning this particular home or buying a car today? Or why are you seriously considering making this investment? So what you'll get out of that question is, one, whether or not they're really serious, and two, you'll get some of their urban, some of the emotional reasons they want to buy, and some of their urban, some of the logical reasons why they want to buy. You'll get both out of this question. This is a superior question, because out of the same question, you're getting more information. Does that make sense? So these are opening test closes. And one of your assignments is going to be to sit down and generate opening test closes that would be elegant, that you can use as soon as you meet buyers. And by the way, if you go, are you seriously considering making investment in a car today? And they go, well, no. Would you like to know that now or the end of your presentation? I don't know about you, but I like to know now. That doesn't mean you can't sell them. It just shows you where their level of desire and want is. And if they have no desire, and they have no desire to really go for it, and they're just looking, the thing that I always encourage you to do is dig for a hurt. That is, desire goes up when someone feels a hurt, meaning something they start noticing they don't have or they're missing out on. Okay? Now, the second kind of test close we call a trade-off test close. What you do in a trade-off test close is you know someone has an objection potentially. You know they have a concern. They have a drab, a dominant reason to avoid buying. 
And what you do is you contrast the reason for not buying with a benefit that you know they really, really want. In other words, you weigh, okay, here's why you don't want to buy, but here's all the reasons you should buy according to you, and they're more valuable. And you get them to tell you that you're right. And by doing so, they make a commitment, but they haven't said they'll bought. They've bought, yet they have. In other words, they've made another commitment, but it feels comfortable because it's only a test close. And if they've not made a commitment, you know where they are. You know you need to create more conviction. So an example of that might be, would it be worth an initial investment of blank in order to earn blank amount of income and appreciation for the next 24 months? So you know that their concern in this case would be the initial investment, whatever it is. So you say, would it be worth blank? And you put it right on the line in order to achieve what you know they want even more. Now, if what they want is even stronger in this weighing process, as you know, what's going to happen is you're going to say, I know you're concerned about blank, but would it be worth blank in order to have this benefit? And if this benefit is strong enough, you have what I call leverage, which is the thing I'm always looking for in the sales presentation. I looked for it when I was qualifying this person. I was looking for what are the things they want most in the world? What are the values that are most important, most compelling to this person? And if I have those emotions, those desires, I now have leverage. I have more than enough to catapult out any fears or any limitations they have, but I should do it probably through a test close. If I say, would it be worth an initial investment of blank in order to have this appreciation, and the person says, no, I want to know that now. I don't want to come down to the end and be doing an order blank close or trying to sign them up and say, look, I'm, not just, in, I'm just not interested in doing it. It's not worth it. I want to know early on. So another purpose of a test close is to get the no's out early. Everyone's going to have no's. You don't want to hide from no's. Hey, get the no's out as soon as you can in the presentation. I'll tell you why. Remember what I told you earlier. When someone says no to you, the law of reciprocation has begun to become induced in your favor. Remember the example we talked about? If your children come to you and say, I want to do this and this, and you go, no, and they come again, you go, no, and they come again, you go, no, there comes a point where you start feeling kind of bad, like you want to say yes, and most people want to say yes if you can meet their real needs. So get the no's out of the way early, and there are simple no's. Well, I don't think it's worth it. It's not no, I won't buy. It's no, I don't think it's worth that investment. See, now you aren't on the line. You're not in a situation where you're going, oh, I've lost the sale. You've got more information now, and you can say, well, I'm sure you've got good reasons for saying that. Do you mind if I ask, why do you say it's not worth it? And now they'll start to tell you their beliefs. And what's your job as a salesperson? To align what you're sharing with that person with their own beliefs. That is to show them how they can get what they really want, change some of their fears by aligning with their beliefs, saying, I know this and this and this is true for you, and I'm sure it is. And what if we look at it this way? But you don't know what that is unless you first test closed. Another example of a trade-off test close would be, in order to achieve your blank goal, would it be worth a one-time investment of blank? Again, you're contrasting what you know their fear is or their drab with the emotional reasons to buy now that are really compelling. A third one would be, would it be worth two weeks of study in order to be able to change anyone's limiting beliefs and enhance their life now and forever? That might be a close I might use with you about my certification program. But the bottom line is, you're not getting them to say a question that they could say no to and you've lost the sale. If they say no, you're in luck. That means you get to find out what's going on in the buyer's mind. And that's what you want to know. You don't want to come to the very end and then hope that they've bought. You want to know where they are throughout the entire sales presentation, consistently know exactly where they are mentally and emotionally towards buying. You want to continually measure. A third type of trial close is called a progressive trial or test close. And that is, if I say something like, if you were to go ahead with this, now what I'm doing is I'm getting you to think about making progress. Maybe you're stuck. You go, well, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I, I, I just don't know if this is right for me. Now, instead of having you stay stuck, I do a little test close. I say, well, if you were to go ahead with this, 
When would you want the service to begin if you decided to go ahead with it? Now what's brilliant about this kind of question is this. Whatever a human being focuses on, that's what they feel and experience. If I ask you, what are you really unhappy about in your life? What's screwed up in your life? And I get you to think long enough, almost all of us could search our brain and find something that could upset us. And you will feel upset, won't you? If I ask you though, what are you most happy about in your entire life? What's the most, best thing in your life right now? And I really get you to think and think and think, you'll come up with that answer. And when you think about that, you'll feel incredible. Remember, human beings are what I call deletion creatures. At any moment in time, we're only paying attention to a small little band of what's available to us. Whatever we focus on, though, that's what we feel. It's like a camera lens. A camera lens, if we went into a party with a camera lens, it only sees a part of what's going on. And the only thing you feel is what you see through that lens. Now, if you look at this couple over here, they look unhappy. You might feel a little bored or unhappy yourself. You go to this group of people, and they're excited. Now, by looking and being part of them, you might feel really good. The point is, the questions you ask people determine what they focus on. If you get a person to stop focusing on the question of whether or not they should do something, and focus on, well, just for a moment, let's say you were going to do it. If you were going to do it, when would you want to do it? You now have them focused on buying. They start to feel like they're buying, and they forget about the thing they were focusing on quite often, especially if you get them to have some emotion about this new choice. So these are test closes. We're not saying, let's do this now, sign the piece of paper. Will you sign the paper? Or will you sign this paper or that paper? No. You're test closing, but making progress. A second kind would be, if you were to overcome, or if we were to overcome blank challenge, you'd probably want to go ahead with this, wouldn't you? This is another test close. What you're finding out is they're saying, here's the challenge. Rather than handle it, you're saying, well, you know, if we could really handle that, you'd want to go ahead, wouldn't you? You're not saying you absolutely will, sign this piece of paper. You're test closing. You're making it feel like an opinion. And they go, well, yeah, I probably would. They've now made a commitment. You know where they are. They go, no, I wouldn't. Or they go, sure, that's all it would take, and then i do it. See, when you ask a test close, you should be able to see the state of your buyer and know where are they on this scale. They go, well, yeah, I guess if we could handle that, I'd go ahead. You can see that their level of interest and desire is not real high. What do you need to do with that person? You need to add some more conviction. Maybe give them some more reasons to buy that motivate them. Maybe what you need to do is create a little more hurt for them. Maybe you need to get them to see some evidence that this really will benefit them even more strongly so they have more conviction. But if they aren't really at a high level, when you test close, add more conviction. Please make a note of that. Put that in your notebook. If when you test close, someone is not moving towards buying, they're not in a high level of energy or excitement or desire, what you should immediately do is start adding more conviction. By the way you talk about things, by the units of conviction that you add, and maybe by stirring them up, or by something we call defeats, creating a series of demonstrations and examples that make them feel like there's more value there. Another example would be, does this sound like something you'd like to go ahead with? Again, this is an example where you get to make progress with a person if they say, yeah, I think it probably sounds like it. They don't feel like it's a major commitment. So these are some simple samples of test closes. What we want to do is we want to make sure that we're constantly test closing, that we're not just doing it when we get to this step called conviction, but we're doing it from the first moment we meet them throughout the entire process so we always know where they are. You never want to be afraid of finding out where the customer is. The only thing you want to be afraid of is not knowing where they are, coming to the end of the presentation and trying to close them and have them say no, then you've got no place to go. Plus, once people say no, now they've made a commitment. They've said no, and if you change their mind, there's a part of them that feels like you did something against their will or maybe you manipulated them. How many of you had to deal with that, where you were successful in convincing them and then later on they had buyer's remorse because they felt like, well, you turned them around. Have you had that experience? So I know I have. So what I've learned to do is find out where they are the whole way 
and not, don't ever, never start to close the prospect until they're absolutely ready to buy. That's absolutely critical. Now, there is one more distinction I can give you on how to create conviction. So what have we talked about? Number one, we've talked about making sure that you have that congruency within yourself every time you get in front of the customer. That you do it through affirmations, you do it by thinking about the value you've given people, but where you are feeling in your gut, not just logically, but in your gut, that you're being a giver and not a taker in this transaction. That you're giving this person much more than you're asking back in time or money or inconvenience out of them to make the project work. Two, we've said you've got to use units of conviction. That what you have to have is take as many facts and features about your product as you can come up with and develop those into units of conviction. Meaning, develop those so you can turn that fact into real benefits for the customer. At least two real benefits that you can back up and where you get the customer to say, yeah, that really is valuable for me by asking a test close, an opinion asking question, and boom, you've now put more conviction on the side of them buying. And we've said three, that in order to do this effectively, you've got to continuously see how you're doing. See where they are throughout the entire sales presentation. And if you get a hot response, if they go, yeah, I think we ought to go ahead, should you wait and say, okay, well, tell me your objections? <laughs> you know? No, you should just assume the sale. You should immediately go to the close. If at any time you get a hot response, super hot response to a test close, where you say, well, does this sound like something you'd really like to do? They go, yes. Even if you're just in the rapport stage, go to the close. Now you say, Tony, well, what if they come back and they say they're not ready? Well, then you, all you have to do is you'll recycle the process. And we're going to show you how to do that. Fourth distinction I want to give you here is this. We talked about, in an earlier step, this little acronym called DEFEATS. Defeats is a set of words, right, that stand for things that you can do if someone is not convinced. Defeats basically destroys disbelief. And defeats, if you'll recall, the D stands for demonstration. If you're trying to create conviction in someone, you're trying to convince them of something, and you've got this leverage you're trying to develop, and you want to get boulders over here, we live in a society that is very visually oriented. And so what's really important for us to do is whenever possible, let's demonstrate the quality of our product. Let's demonstrate that it really works. Now, many of us are selling intangibles. It doesn't matter. You can still demonstrate an intangible. You can demonstrate it through other people's opinions. You can demonstrate it by applying a skill right there in front of them. But demonstration is one of the most powerful ways to give someone enough evidence that they can feel certain that by making this decision, they're going to get what they really want. And that's what this whole step is about, creating conviction and testing closing, getting somebody moving in the direction of buying. So most important thing here is to make sure that we do a demonstration. E stands for give them an example. In some cases, you can't do a demonstration, or it's more appropriate to give an example. You know, I worked with Mary Sue the other day, and Mary Sue was pretty much in a very similar situation as you. She wanted to do this and this and this. She made this decision, and you know what? Now she's got the rewards. So you teach them that by making the decision, they'll get the pleasure they want. And you do it by an example. It's got to be a sincere example. It's got to be a real example, so you should collect them. Next one, F. F stands for facts. Now, What's a fact and what's a claim? Good question. Well, a claim can be a fact, but any fact you state that the buyer doesn't believe 100% is a claim. Any claim you make that they believe is a fact. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's a reality. In fact, are there facts that they will tell you that you think are claims, claims against your product? So have you ever had them say, well, your product does this and this and this, and they hold it as a fact, and you hold it as a claim? It's because they believe it's real. So what's fact and what's claim has to do with what people hold as, more, as certain, as real, as a fact. So even if you're telling absolute truth about a fact, they may not feel like it's a fact unless they're convinced. So you better make sure if you deliver a fact, you do it congruently. 
or you have something to back it up, some kind of social proof, maybe a document or something to show them, because a lot of people will not buy your idea. Now, they usually will, they'll listen to your facts and they'll believe them, if you've done your work up front and you've developed rapport. If they like you and they believe that you're an honest person and you have their interests in mind, you state a fact, they're more than likely going to believe it, aren't they? E stands for exhibit. What's the difference between exhibit and demonstrate? Not a whole lot. <laughs> the biggest difference, I would say, is when you exhibit something, maybe what you're going to do is you're going to give them evidence through time. I might demonstrate something for you right now. If I'm going to put an exhibit up, I might have something stay there and have you have a chance to be exposed to it making results in your business through time, maybe for a week or two. The next one for us is A is we give an analogy. Analogy is you show someone how something is like something else. So you say, John, um, you know, we're, we're marketing this computer system to you, and I'm, I sense that maybe I can give you a better example. Do you know how in your business, when your accounting department did this and this and that, how things really changed? Goes, well, yeah. That's very much like what will happen when this computer system goes in. Because when we do this, just like that, X, Y, and Z will happen. Oh, and now what it becomes is something that's more real for them. It becomes real evidence to buy now. So an analogy is another possibility. T stands for testimonials. And testimonials are phenomenal. If you can have some fabulous letters from people that are considered to be social proof, movers and shakers talking about the quality of your product, obviously you're going to have an impact. If you can get letters from people this person knows, somebody they know personally, that's even more power so of, of social proof. If you can get something like a videotape where a person is actually communicating and it's more real, all the more power for you. And S stands for statistics. And statistics are like facts. They're only as good as your conviction when you talk about them and that you're accurate. And for myself, for example, if I don't talk about something very often and I don't know the statistic, I'll say, to the best of my memory, it's this. It's not exactly that, but it's within that range. So it's best not to just be direct unless you feel really convinced within yourself. Otherwise, it will not have weight as evidence. It can be looked at as something that, well, they're being inaccurate with me. And I was guilty of that quite a bit in the past, and I've tried to really watch myself so that if I start to go into that habit, I catch myself and say, oh, wait, if I don't know exactly, I'll say I don't know exactly. So make sure you use your evidence effectively and appropriately. That's defeats. Now, let me give you an idea of how powerful all the things we've learned so far together can really weigh in helping you to basically create sales in areas where maybe you haven't before. First of all, if you're always test closing, you're going to be noticing the state that the customer's in, which is critical. Do you remember when we talked about in order to succeed, You've got to, number one, know what your outcome is. You're going to go communicate to someone. You've got to know in advance, what is it you want to sell? How do you want to go about doing this? What's the result you want? Two, you've got to take action. You can't just think about it. You've got to obviously follow through as well. Three, you've got to pay attention and know what you're getting. Is your present communication style getting you closer or further away from the prospect and the goal of them buying? You have to develop, remember what we called sensory acuity acute sensitivity to notice, am I getting closer or further away from my goal? And if it's not working, you need to simply make a change. If you say, Tony, but I don't know what to do. Do anything other than what you're doing, because what you're doing isn't working. Simply change your approach. And if that doesn't work, change again. If that doesn't work, change again. If you keep changing, you will find something that works. If you're committed and if you keep rapport. So what can you look for to know whether or not they're in a buying state or not? Well, you already feel it in your gut. There are all kinds of elements. When somebody's ready to buy, you can see it in their face. There's a big difference between somebody who's bored and somebody who's excited. And it primarily has to do with the amount of muscular tension in a person's face. When people are bored or frustrated or tired, sure enough, the muscles in the face tend to sag. When they're interested or excited or they have desire, the facial muscles tend to pull up slightly. And you can usually see that. 
there's much more color in the face, the blood flow when someone is in a desiring state, than there is when they're not. If while you're doing the test closing you notice that the person has really begun to relax a lot more, they're just very relaxed compared to where you started, that is a buying sign immediately. If someone's relaxed, they're no longer really concerned. And so the more you can relax them, the better off. If when they talk to you they're doing it a lot with open hands instead of being closed up, that body language is not always accurate but it usually is a decent indicator that they're being open to your idea and that there's a strong interest and there's a good chance that this person is going to purchase. Another example would be when somebody is scratching their chin or scratching their lips in this way. Usually what they're doing is they're weighing and they're considering. And for them to be considering, they must believe that there's a certain amount of value. They have some conviction that your product has real value for them. So when you see somebody scratching their chin in deep thought, the bottom line is they're paying attention to you. They're hearing what they're saying, you're saying, and they're really going inside and trying to justify it. Usually at that point, if you can give them another unit of conviction, something gives them a logical way to justify what they're doing or a little more desire, you can kick them over the edge. Another one is if while you're talking about your product, they just start to get real friendly with you. People start to get much more friendly. You know that they're in a buying state. And lastly would be if all of a sudden you've put something in front of them like an application or something and they begin to actually pick the application up, for example, or touch it, or they keep tapping the product, or they talk about the product as if they already owned it, or say, well, gosh, if I had this, I guess I could do this and this and that. All those are clear buying signs and you should be incredibly excited at that point. You're now in a green light stage. Example of how to put all these together. My selling career started by me answering an ad. I answered an ad saying, become a manager in training for $500 a week. And I went down to one of those meetings where you know, they do a group presentation. Have you been to one of those? Where they do this giant presentation, throw all the stuff against the wall and see if somebody will stick. <laughs> and I did. And it was selling cassette tapes, music tapes, door to door. And I was supposed to go in, they'd call up and say, one of our guys or gals would be dropping by to basically give you a free gift and tell you a little bit about our company. What kind of music do you like? Do you like country, western, pop, or rock? It was a pretty good close. Notice they controlled the focus of this person. They did not call and say, do you want to buy? They called and said, we'll be dropping by to give you a gift, which is called inducing what? Reciprocation. And two, they said immediately, not do you want us to come out, but what kind of music do you like? By the way, we were not bringing out any form of music. We were bringing out a little uh, gift certificate that said they could get one free portrait at a local photography studio. And that guy, when they came in, would give him a free photograph. And then, of course, they owed him now some reciprocation. And they ended up buying all kinds of pictures. It was one interesting deal. And so I went in there, and I watched this thing. And I got excited about the product. And they had the largest catalog in the world of music. Anything that had ever been recorded was on cassette tapes, all the way back to the 20s and 30s, and all the way up to today. And they offered a five-year guarantee on all their tapes. And I had used cassette tapes and had many of them eaten. Didn't have a lot of money. So I thought, God, that's great. Guarantee on their tapes, everything that's ever been recorded. And they do it at great prices. What I didn't realize was the whole game at the time, but they taught me a sales presentation that would close anyone. In fact, I got so good at it that one out of every three human beings that I sat in front of bought the product. Now, we're talking $1,000 worth of cassettes, walking in cold turkey, knocking on somebody's door. And all they've been told is they're going to get a free gift. So sure enough, I'd knock on the door, talk my way in, give a two-hour presentation on why they should buy $1,000 of cassette tapes. And I'm talking about everything from Achiever Homes to Belonger Homes. And so sure enough, I'm inside this place, and I'm trying to market and sell this thing. And what do I do? My sales presentation consisted of doing units of conviction. What would I do? I would describe to them how music has changed throughout the years in terms of the way it's being delivered to homes. 
and I would pull out a record and show it all scratched up and beat up and melted and talk about, have you ever had this happen to you? What am I immediately doing? I'm immediately opening up a wound. Does that make sense? If they have albums, there's a wound that they have and we're opening it right away. I'm saying this is the problem with albums. You spend all your money, you get your favorite thing, and then sure enough, by accident, you scratch it, and now your favorite music is gone. Then I take out an eight-track tape, and of course the tape was taken out, and I explain why they rub against themselves and they burn out. And then I sell the value of a cassette tape, and I talk about what, how great the cassette tape was, and I could give you 50 advantages and benefits that they have by having cassette tapes. Next step of my presentation was this. And think about all the elements you've learned and see the brilliance in the person who designed this. Not necessarily my style or what I would market now, but the brilliance of the design is pretty incredible. I'd say, well, let me ask you a question. If you were going to build, if you were going to build, test close, you were going to build a tape library of music that you really liked over the years, how many tapes do you think you'd invest in a month if you were going to do something like that? Would you invest in like two tapes a month, four tapes a month, six tapes a month, or eight tapes a month? What do you think? And they'd say, well, I don't know. I'd say, well, which one? They'd say, well, probably two tapes a month. So I'd write down two tapes a month, so that's 24 tapes a year. Is that about right? And what am I doing here? Test closing. And by doing that, getting commitments. And they're going, yeah. And what did I use? I used what we called an as-if frame. I asked them a test close. Well, if you were going to do this, then what would you do? And I gave them lots of examples, and of course, they picked the smallest one. What if I would have said, do you think you'd build a library or not? Some of them would say, well, I don't think so. But by doing that, all of a sudden, they now committed 24, and I'd say, is that really reasonable to you? Do you think that, does that really make sense? And they go, well, yeah. I mean, 24 seems, is that really sure? Oh, yeah. And I get them to commit that that was really a real number. Now I go do my presentation. I say, here's why you should get your tapes from us in building your library. We're going to do three things for you. We're going to give you everything that's ever been recorded in history. Anything you want. I pull out this, the largest catalog in history. Anything you can tell me something you really want. We'd look it up, and sure enough, there it was. Bango. They're getting benefit, pleasure. They can get whatever they want. Get it to you, deliver it directly to you. You don't have to go to a music store. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to guarantee your tapes for five years. Nobody else is going to do that, as you know. It's always thrown away. And I go through this whole presentation. I come down to the close. And my close was like this. So I'd say, so if we did all those things for you, would you give us your music business? And they'd say, well, um, I guess so. But you know, I said, great. And I'd start to sign them up. And they'd go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Um, we probably would, but the problem is we don't have a tape player. We don't have a cassette player. And I'd say, oh, you're kidding me. Didn't the girl on the phone ask you about that? Well, no, she didn't. I said, do you see the benefits in cassettes? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I see the benefits. Because what do they see? They see a chance to escape, right? Oh, yeah, the benefits are there. I said, are you, are you just saying that, or you know, do you really believe it? No, I really believe it. They are fabulous. Are, do you think they're better than that? Oh, they're better than that. Do you think, well, yeah. Well, you know, do, did I do a good job? Yeah. I mean, are you just saying this to make me feel good? I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that you don't have a cassette player, would you be, give us your tape business? Would you really do 24 a year? Oh, yeah, we really would. You were great. That was fabulous. But, you know, we just don't have one. Sorry. I said, are you, really being, are you being honest with me about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then I turn back and I turn my back and I come back and say, remember we said we'd do three things for you if you bought your music from us? And then I reach down and pull out this tape player and slam it down the front and say, by making these investments with us, this player that I've been demonstrating on is yours. <laughs> you talk about a hard close. And I left that business because I didn't like the way it was set up. But I'll tell you one thing. There was no way out for a person. Why? Commitment and consistency was induced. Reciprocation. Tons of units of conviction. And people felt like they had no choice. And they began to justify and say, well, it is true. I mean, after all, all those benefits really are there. And I did agree to all these things. And a lot of people didn't want to buy a bot. Now, I would not do this presentation now. It would not feel good to me for my idea of integrity. But I want you to see just how powerful some of these particular tools are. You talk about an incredible close. That was there. 
So think about it. If you're going to operate from integrity and use the same kind of technology, having really qualified people knowing what their real needs are, if you do it effectively, virtually no one can escape your grasp. That's why the integrity of really knowing who you're dealing with, really caring about them and finding their real needs and filling them is so critical. And if you can't do it, turning them on over to somebody else or asking for a referral because people respect and appreciate that. But I want you to get just how powerful this technology is. Most of us are influenced every single day by things that we're not even aware of. We just kind of get pushed around from one place to another. I want you to be aware of this technology for two reasons. One, so you don't get taken advantage of. And two, so you can make a difference in other people's lives, not take advantage, but systematically assist someone in breaking through their fears. We're talking about some real power here. So here's your assignment. What I want you to do right now is let's start to play with test closes. They are the way to get rid of your fear about the word no. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be able to close the sale because you're not going to ask them to buy until you know they're ready. So what I want you to do is design three types of test closes for your presentation. And I want you to come up with at least three for each type. Three opening test closes. What are three things you can do to get some initial commitments and find out where are they, where's their level of interest so you can either close them right now or know what you're up against. Two, what kind of trade-off or test closes can you offer? You know, as soon as you find out some of their fears or some of the reasons they might not buy, what can you contrast those against that's something they really want? What are some of the values they want most? And design three questions that you can use in your business with your product to do a trade-off. You know, in order to get this, would you be willing to give up that? Would you be willing to do this in order to get this? Those are trade-off closes. And then thirdly, progressive test closes. Say, if we were going to go ahead and do this thing, would you want to do it this time or that time? And I want you to design three of those as well. Test closing is your greatest friend. And if you test close and not ready, add some more conviction. If you do both of these things, your presentation will come to life. And there's only one more element to make this person compelled. Because that's the next stage. The person is now enrolled. What have we done? We know who they are, what they want, what their psychic wounds are, what their greatest desires are. We've created conviction where they can justify that, hey, this could really meet my needs. We've test closed and we know they're about ready to buy. Now what we're going to do is go to the final step. We're going to compel them to buy by going to the next step called make it real. But first, do your test closes and I'll see you in a few minutes. This program is continued on the next cassette.